Welcome to House of Games, the podcast about games in general and game development in particular. I also have with me my co-host Rune. Yo, yo, yo. And with us we also have a special guest, Daniel. Welcome. Thank you and hello. Such a pleasure to be here. Yes, absolutely. You are most welcome. You are working at your game studio, Define Arc. So tell me, how many people are you at that game studio? Oh, we're a very small studio at the moment. We're two people, me and Per Fransson, my co-founder. So yeah, it's a tiny, tiny company. But we have been, at our peak, we were five people. But we have forced to downsize because of the economy, basically. Were the other three people also from Sweden or freelancers from abroad or from other places in the world? No, we were all uh, local. Okay. One we took in after he did his uh, university studies and practice eight months or ten months at our uh, company. Like an intern. Intern, exactly. (laughs) Sorry. We saw his potential and we want to hire this guy. And we did. And uh, then we had another guy who um, worked for us for practice to return to work. We said, yeah, we can make him practice work. And uh, it turned out very well and he flourished in our company and we had a really good time. So we we hired him as well. We still keep keep them in contact, but we haven't been able to keep their uh, paid salaries. But uh, yeah, I hope that's going to change in the future. Interesting. So tell me about the studio in general, what you do and the sort of games you do and the general info. Well, it's a big, a big question, I would say. Me and Per, we met at uh, Game Jam 2017, I think, or 2018. Just around that new year, we made a game together on that Game Jam. And we felt, well, this this <laughs> this dude seems like a nice person to partner up with because I was very much into the visual side of games and he was very much into the audio side and music side of game making. We complemented each other very well. And I was running a sole proprietary company and he was running a limited company and had a product in development that targeted schools, like edutainment basically. And I was working on an action RPG at the time. Maybe I just had released it. What was the name of that game? The action RPG? It was called The Medieval Story. It's a Diablo-esque type of game. Not uh, so much RPG, uh, more action-oriented. The tilted isometric view. Did you make it by yourself? I did. (laughs) If it's the one I'm looking at, that's damn impressive. And you made it by yourself. Is it like all the assets and everything or? I've been told it's pretty insane in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When did you release this one? That was uh, August, I think, 2017. And that's made entirely with C++ and OpenGL. And w- what was the software you used? Like Unity or RPG Maker or? Yes, C++ and OpenGL. Ah, okay. It's all from scratch. Oh, so you made your own engine as well. Wow. Holy shit. (laughs) Wow, that's very impressive. And I I made a tile editor or world editor prior to the game so I could create the maps and uh, all the stuff surrounding it. The dialogue system and important quest items and uh, story elements, sound placement, everything. Lightning (laughs) and stuff. How big is this game? Like, How how long would it take to finish? Like start to finish. Game playtime, maybe an hour or two hours, maybe. Depending on how fast you play it. I could probably finish it in 40 minutes, but I know all the ins and outs. Completely newbie would probably need an hour or two. I had a grand vision to release like chapters and stuff for this, but I just managed to do one chapter. So much work to create all the, the assets and uh, all the maps, basically, was a pretty big endeavor. If I were to do it again, I would probably absolutely use Unity and I would probably also generate a lot of the, of the maps. This had no, no procedure generation at all. Everything was hand-placed. But that kind of attention to detail is very nice, I think. But of course, it takes a lot of time. I was never into making it profitable in any way. I was only making it as a learning process, basically. 
because I really like the perspective and the sort that sort of gameplay. Like do the kind of game that I would like to play myself. Yeah, that's uh, nice. Uh, I, I have the same philosophy. Like I, I make games that I would like to play myself. And currently I'm making a 2.5D top-down game, not isometric like yours, but you can use tile maps and just draw things out like that. But I am very much against that, so I'm actually doing everything by hand as well because I think it's just the sort of attention to detail and how you can sort of shape things exactly the way you want is uh, nice. It's cool that you did that as well with this uh, medieval story. All is hand-drawn. Of course, I can see there's some copy-pacing, but you can't really tell because it's... Things are not next to each other, so to speak. Like a tile map, you know, you you can tell it's just the same tiles used over and over and over again. But on your game here, I can see that it's just that rock I can see there and I can see over here. But because they're not next to each other and there's like some bushes behind around this one, you you know, sort of trick yourself not to think that it is any copy-pasting at all. Yeah, you can like cheat the, the player a little bit. It would be insane if everything was, you know, hand-run exactly. Yeah, all the backgrounds are, as you say, they are hand-drawn, but they are still copy-pasted. But the characters are pre-rendered in like Blender and then uh, composited onto sprites. Like I rendered out the sword first, and then I rendered out the character, and then I rendered out the shield, and then I rendered out the different armor, like the helmet. And then I composited those together in the engine, depending on what equipment the character is using, basically. So it's like a, a doll technique, if you say. I think it worked pretty well, and it was a good learning experience. But, I mean, this was my second game. If I were to really rewind my PC game history, I can post a link to this in uh, the chat. It's a YouTube video of my first PC game I ever made. I, I released it in 2003. Yeah, 12 years ago cool fuck i love your games they're so nerdy it's exactly the kind of stuff i love space and fantasy <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> yeah so how much uh, experience in game development did you have when making this one and the medieval story i became interested in game development in the early 90s my family had bought well, i think they hired my first experience with computer games was like the early 80s with the Atari 2600, and that was very primitive in regards to the standards of today. I remember just playing on it, I didn't do anything else. And then we bought a Commodore 64, and then I started to realize that, okay, people are actually creating games or, or media for this platform, and it's possible for me to do it as well. So I began making very small games on the Commodore 64 with a game maker, like the first game maker I ever saw. And that was tile-based sprites. I don't even remember the name, but you, you did everything by joystick. There was no keyboard involved. Just editing everything, you know, all the sprites with joystick, all the map uh, editing with joystick. Like run it and try it out in the game engine. I didn't think you could publish it and load it up from cassette or disc or anything. It was just... Uh, contained piece of product that was was the the end product so to say and i think that was around late 80s maybe and then we bought an amiga and then we really started to was really starting to get interested in graphics and computer graphics and started drawing with mouse and creating palettes and all that technique like creating gradients and stuff and there were only indexed palettes there were no 24 bits so you don't have a, an endless amount of colors. You have to carefully pick how many colors you're going to use for a, a certain gradient. So that was my first serious attempt at creating graphics and games in general. So I had this, I remember I had this friend in high school who did programming in a language called Amos. And that was a pretty early game engine that was based on BASIC but had more graphical routines that was sped up to allow for creating simple games. So I, I remember cycling to this friend's house and delivering my graphics on, on, on disks, and he would like implement them. Two weeks later, I could look at what was the result. Wow. It was very, very nice. Very, I remember it as a very exciting time. <laughs> 
I remember reading this article about uh, Donkey Kong Country on the Super Nintendo. I believe it was made in Britain, Rare. Uh, and I remember reading that uh, when they rendered the Donkey Kong's animations, they would leave the computers on all night because it was just, it took so much time and the graphics was obviously very impressive at the time. So they will just leave the computers on, go home, and then the next day they can they could see the the animations they had created because then the computer was done rendering them. But your experience sounds even more hardcore. You get up on a fucking bike <laughs> and going to someone to to check it out. That's really hardcore. <laughs> yeah, there were no rendering. I don't think there were any three D software to speak of at that time. Uh, more like if you had 3D graphics, you had programmed the the 3D models inside the the program itself, like hard coded the. If it was a, like a fighter jet, you hadn't load the the model from file. I think most of those games at that time just hard coded the the vertices into the the code, basically. I gotta ask two questions. One one is, have you seen the at- since you mentioned Atari 2600, have you seen the Lego set that came out just a couple of months ago? And question number two, how do you feel about sort of posters like myself who come in now making games in Unity while you have been through like the real deal, the hard coding and all that? I mean, you named some softwares and stuff you used, which I've only heard about, but I wouldn't be able to write a single code in that. I'm, I'm sort of like a... I don't know, just a new guy in the industry making games and I have Unity sort of helping me out with everything, basically, comparing to the kind of real deal that you have been doing. I haven't seen the actual set of the Lego, but I did a quick Google and it's very accurate, I would say. Very nostalgic. I would love to have this Lego. (laughs) Super cool. Yeah, (laughs) I figured. Uh, I've been in the process of purchasing uh, Atari 2600 retro machine for of some sort, just to be able to play Space Invaders on my TV. That would be awesome. <laughs> Regarding Unity, I don't blame you. I think you're doing the exactly right thing. You should use the tools of the time and, and just create. That's uh, the lesson I have learned throughout the years, that if there are better tools, why not use them? But you're using Unity now as well, or? Amongst other things, but mostly Unity, yes. I saw your uh, Define Arc Twitter feed and I, I recognized uh, the uh, UI in some of the tweets you guys have done. And I think it is Unity. Or the UI? Do we have any UI? No, you took a picture of your monitor and then there are some error messages. And this tweet is something like, never work on Friday. or. <laughs> that, yeah, that's Unity. No, no, that's Unity. You're absolutely right. The latest game is Unity, yes. But I used to joke with, with Per, my co-founder, that using Unity is a bit of a sheet. <laughs> yeah, so it is a sheet. <laughs> like everything. <laughs> it is a sheet, but it's just uh, it's a fun in-house joke, more or less. But because I see the worth of using such a tool, not only because you can develop stuff quicker, but it also imposes a process in the craft of making a game that others can like study or be aware of without prior knowledge to your company or your way of doing things. And then you can just take in competence and they already know the way around your software, basically. And that's a huge advantage, I think. I think also that's a, a way of adding value to your IP. If you're, uh, you develop the game and you have built it like with in-house tools only, it will be very hard to sell your, your game to another owner, like a publisher or a, another studio who wants to continue developing your product, but you're not interested, like you have, maybe you're fed up with it or whatever reason. But you see a, you see a potential that others might want to continue your work then it's very easy to sell if you're using an established engine. In contrast to an in-house engine, you need to you need to basically educate the buyer in your engine. And that's a bigger, bigger sell, I think. A harder sell. Yeah, I remember, uh, uh, I, or it, it brings to mind is the EA's or DICE uh, Frostbite engine. 
uh, I have a friend here in in Tokyo who basically taught me how to program or he sort of showed me the ropes in the beginning and he just told me like well download someone else's game in Unity and just mess around with it until and eventually you will sort of learn the interface and how things works in Unity and this guy he then uh, was brought to DICE in Stockholm like I assume they just you know pay for the flight and everything he's a Japanese fella and then he uh, did his work interview and all that and he and he got the job but it just I mean he's a genius so I can't I can't imagine how difficult it will be if if you like you said if you have an in-house engine you literally have to educate the, even the people you hire in a big company like DICE for example I assume they have to educate the, the new programmers so they learn how the engine works because they have never used the Frostbite engine before since it's like a private engine that only the company uses but then there's also obviously like if let's say they pub or they release that engine so other companies could use it I don't know why they don't do that I feel like a good idea but yeah you're right yeah I think so too there's two two sides of using or developing your own like your own technology because if you're if you're aiming for investors they would really like to see you developing your own tech because that's like worth <laughs> that's bring up the worth of the company but if you're developing unity for instance then you're not developing any tech so why should they invest in you basically it's no innovation or i'm thinking even for 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 dice like if they release their engine like the epic engine or the unit engine and people can use it and develop games on it and they take a cut from those games from what i've heard or read i guess long time ago it's a very complicated engine to learn but I guess if they could fine-tune it a little bit, you could sort of compete with Unity and, and Epic as well. Because, I mean, look at the games they make. They're, damn, they look so good. So, I mean, I, I'm not that into engines and stuff, but I assume it is a really good engine just based on the games they have developed. Sure, the last Battlefield was a fiasco, but the, overall, the, the games they make looks damn impressive and the sounds and everything. So if they could sort of fine-tune it and, uh, I don't know, work on the UI so it's more friendly to noobs, that they could, you know, compete on that sort of, like, Epic Games and Unity does. Absolutely. I think, I think that's a valid point that they should maybe pursue if they are, want to continue developing their engine further. I would suggest make it so that other people can at least buy the license somehow but yeah uh, that's a way of making the the tech more accessible i think but it's still i think it's a very a very good idea to have this free license that unreal and unity pursue that path is a smart thing to do because then it's very low cost for someone to just pick up and test it or try it out The, the funny thing that unreal has it's been around forever. I don't know. The first, uh, the first Unreal game I think came out like '99, maybe. And just a few years ago, the the engine became like free for anyone. But uh, it's uh, it's not the same engine any any longer that it was once was. But it's it's fascinating how what kind of lifespan that product really has. And now I think game engines are also expanding into not only games, but animation and movies and like modeling and trying to almost compete with uh, AutoCAD. I'm interested in, in these game engines and where they are heading, but in the, at the end of the day, it's, they are only tools, in my opinion. Like they're only as good as the person who's using them, basically. It doesn't matter which tool you really use. If you can't like throw the hammer it doesn't matter <laughs> you need to know your 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 profession in order to deliver use engines to to the fullest of your extent that's my advice but i wouldn't not recommend people picking up programming from scratch and like writing console applications because it's a great learning process to have that instant feedback that you get. That's one thing I can miss today. When I started uh, working with computers uh, for the Commodore, for instance, the Commodore 64, when you turned the device or the, the computer on, you were instantly approached 
with the programming interface. You could start to programming program the the computer from the get go. You didn't need to start any software. It was like okay, ready, start programming. And I can miss that in today's ecosystem. That if you want to program a computer today, you need first absolutely you need to turn it on, but you also need to download maybe a browser and then you need to find some kind of engine you want to use and then you need to install that and then you need to read the manual and then you need to 60 steps later you start to program but when when you i started programming i just need to turn on the device and the prompt was ready it's just to begin programming more or less so the code was very accessible and it was very easy to start coding and i can miss that simplicity in uh, today's environment, just start the computer and you have the prompt asking for, uh, for input. It's an abstraction, really, that I think is, is bad for, for the knowledge of how computers really work in the, on the inside. Yeah, n- now that you said that, I thought about uh, how they built the pyramids. Like, how could we have lost that kind of knowledge? And based on what you said, it made me think about that, too. That one day we'll just forget how we learn how to program. Because I guess at some point in the future you think and then the fucking computer does it for you. And then people will be like, how did they learn programming in the past? And there's like no records of it because it's just been completely washed away from all the software sort of taking over. Uh, dystopian future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that's really fascinating, I don't know if you have uh, seen these videos of the Copilot uh, plugin. I think it's for VS Code. Very fascinating just to be suggested what you should type next all the time, basically. Yeah. Like type a class, like a, like a record. Okay, in this record, do you want to have a name? Yeah, I want a name. Okay, do you want an age? Yeah, I want an age. And it suggests, suggests all these properties and fields for you. And you just need to like tab, 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 tab. Okay, I want that. Tab, tab, tab. But the thing is that this copilot can then suggest okay, do you want to insert people in this uh, array? And do you want, and you maybe say, oh, yeah, I want to insert. And then it just downloads this whole chunk of code from, from GitHub. I think it's based on GitHub's uh, vast array of different projects. And it's using AI to like, interpret what you are trying to do with the, with the records that it has. Isn't that uh, the tool that's in a class action lawsuit because people uh, haven't agreed to having their code used as a commercial product, I think? I can imagine that. I don't know. I haven't heard that there's a lawsuit going on, but if it's open software and it's free, free to download, I don't see if they have really a case. Uh, but but if, if they start selling it, that's another story. But I was more curious about the fine arc, uh, your current work. If you want to tell us about it, what you're working on now, do you have anything going on or games about to release or anything like that? I would like to say we have games ready for release, but sadly we don't. That's because we have basic needs as all of us. We need to put food on the on the table, and we have have had the necessary haven't had the necessary in-house products to be able to like finance our company yet. So we have been working a lot as consultants, working for third parties, basically for medtech industry, like the HoloLens, and a company that specializes in treatment of stroke patients. And they have built this AR solution where you can train the brain using different games to help the brain heal after a stroke, so you can regain some of your functionality that you had prior to your stroke. It's a very, very exciting project to be a part of. Is that project already out, or is it you developing it now? No, it's it's not consumer available for consumers. It's they're they're, tar- they're targeting uh, like hospitals and clinics that specializes in stroke rehab. But uh, the product is out, and they have been uh, very successful in selling their uh, idea to, to hospitals like they went to 50 hospitals in sweden and 50 came back and said yeah we want to buy this so it's like 100 percent hit ratio and that's unheard of <laughs> i don't know if they have the product as it's still in development but they have a product out and they're selling and they're also 
been demoing it to the different universities around the world in Switzerland, in, in London, in New York. So I've been, I think they have been to Harvard and Stanford and uh, Oxford and all these upper class universities and uh, have gotten really good response. And uh, we are hoping to continue that partnership with those. That's one job we have been doing. And the other, that's not a consult gig, uh, this other part. It's more of a collaboration between two companies. It's the Fine Arc and uh, another company called Bufferleaf. were approached by uh, Umeå City government. And they w- were requesting for a digital platform regarding youth centers. How could they provide a good and safe environment for the youth to communicate and socialize in and to find uh, and uh, attract youths that maybe are at home and don't feel like they have anything worthwhile going to the youth center that's uh, available. Maybe I are feeling depressed or, or for whatever reason not, not being social. And that's reaching out to new groups and connecting new, new uh, youngsters with each other. Through this uh, platform and using you, the youth center's existing uh, personnel and have uh, this safe environment to be able to socialize and, and uh, be uh, grateful and uh, basically meet new friends in this safe environment. It would be cool if there was, because I worked in a, before I came here to Japan, I worked in a facility with people on the spectrum. And I sort of recognize things that you're talking about. But now that you mentioned like sort of combining a youth center with the real world or whatever, or the other way around, the youth centers with maybe people who don't, who, who just don't have it in them to go to one of those centers. Imagine like this big screen and then like, people in the youth center can talk to these avatars on the screen, which are the kids who are home and are too shy or lack the social skills to be there. So they could still sort of, you know, let's say you're sitting home and then you can see the youth center through your computer. And then in the youth center, you are being appeared as some sort of, you appear as some sort of avatar on the screen. Yeah, exactly. Our, our goal is to have like a 3D environment that's uh, cozy and uh, sort of like Animal Crossing-esque uh, style of uh, environment that you're able to like plant your stuff and uh, move all the lawn maybe or tend the garden and then do that together collaboratively and have community goals in regards with the focus to make this uh, digital youth center level up or get some uh, reward if you tend to the place in a good way. We think it's important to fuse the physical world with the physical work or physical activities with the digital world and that you can reward or encourage physical activities through the platform as well as creating digital events and digital activities that can get rewards in the physical world. So they're like collaborating with each other and you can see the progression through your in-game avatar and the in-game digital youth center yeah and the reward system would help to sort of because uh, i imagine people who don't who can't go there for whatever reason they might go once and think that was a horrible experience but if you have that sort of carrot hang dangling in front of you like you get rewards and stuff like that that could sort of work as this sort of well a reward thingy that i assume most people's brains are reacting to and then you know motivate you to come back to this digital youth center and then slowly but steady maybe you will join the real one in the real world eventually we have been uh, conducting focus groups and interviews with the the cities around Västerbottens land in the inland communes or cities and approached them regarding how they feel how their youth centers are being run or how they feel that the their population is coping basically with the the covid virus <laughs> when everyone need, uh, are forced to just stay at home and everyone we have approached says that this is a huge problem that they need to solve very quickly it's a super important product basically but the the caveat is that they don't have any money basically like Åsele kommun I think they had 100,000 kroners for the rent of a youth center and one person. Just 100,000. It's really sad 
that they can't put more economy behind it or effort to to provide for this uh, for the youth. Most of them didn't even have a youth center. They didn't have any activities at all for that target. Let's say I live in Åsele and I want to use this product. How do I join it? I mean, what, what's the idea? Am I supposed to go to a place to log on to it? Or is it through a, through my smartphone from home or a PC screen or whatever? We, we began uh, developing the pilot for a web application and WebGL. But we quickly found out that we need to target mobile devices because that's where our audience prefer to be hanging out basically like how do i easily get in contact with my friends so it's through my phone so we we made a a shift towards mobile and uh, that's where our our target device we focus our development for mobiles but it's possible to also run the, the application in in like windows and mac but that's more for the youth center personnel. Yeah, that could spread fast too. Like imagine you have that thing up and running and then you, you know, in the schools in all these, you know, provinces and whatever. The teachers could easily just mention this social media app where you can hang out in youth centers. Yeah, we want to expand to other markets like schools and events and all sorts of communities that could use this kind of software. I think it's a really good good product to to be able to collaborate and find find other like-minded especially with regards to these kind of long distances that's in sweden it's very hard to to socialize so you need some sort of platform if you want that more reoccurring conversation with someone maybe you meet your your fellow youngsters or your in your age once every month if you are connected to the local football team and you go on a bus and like have a tournament in football okay then then you can meet up with other teenagers in your age but if you don't if you're not interested in football what do you have like it's on the digital you don't have a safe place on the internet basically where you can have any like confidentiality going on because everything is is uh, is um, capitalized that's the problem really why we were approached by umeo because they don't don't want to use discord because that's american servers they they, they are not allowed to use that platform because of gdpr so they want something developed in sweden and is located in sweden swedish servers or at least the european servers i also assume when you say a safe way to hang out it's just to you know not have a bunch of pedophiles lurking about in these chat rooms. So with the help of Bank ID, you have to identify yourself. Yeah, that's a big selling point to, to provide this safe space for your, for your kids to, to not be worried that, okay, maybe they're not talking to this 15 years old girl. It's a 60 year old <laughs> male something. Just like a real youth center, you usually have like an adult working there. Would there be adults in this application walking around? Yes, exactly. That's what the core idea is. We harness the the government's already their personnel that works with the with the teenagers, so they feel familiar with the the community already if they are involved in it somehow. And when they're not in the platform, when the, the adults are not there, the youth cent- the digital youth center is also closed. Okay, so it is like a physical thing, except that it's not. Yeah, it's uh, physical in that sense, but we want to have some sort of offline functionality as well. Like you can send messages, but you can't interact, or maybe you can't use your webcam and uh, be abusive, because that's a part of... Uh, the solution to build a safe place where you're always uh, not always but you're you're supervised by this adult i think it's a good idea to also i don't would say educate but i think it's healthy to 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 be uh, awake in the correct hours of the day and not sit up all night long basically and i think yeah, 
if we can encourage that behavior, I think it's a good idea to... The school is open during the day and closed during the night. And the same is with the youth centers. So why shouldn't this digital reflect that? Uh, encourage like social behavior. And if it's successful, you know, people will be excited to go there and they, you know, hang on the door until it's open. You log on and it's just like the youth center opens in five minutes. So people sort of wait there and... If it's more scarce, it's more... Uh... <laughs> more worth yeah yeah oh, we see that with games you know was it uh, Assassin's Creed kept sending out games year after year after year and it just got worse and worse and worse and then they took a break and Odyssey was released and it was just like a huge hit so I also think that's true that if you get too much of something it just becomes you know whatever but if you wait for something that's more worthy so that's one project we're also pursuing and the last project is our in-house game then, that you have been seeing on, on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> so that's right now it's called Star Pilgrim. Its origin is basically, I started working on the project before I met Per. I was on a, on a flight to Seattle with my then current job, like an event that Microsoft was having in, I think it was in Seattle, or it was at Richmond. Uh, anyway, it was... Um, big Microsoft event and I was bored on the flight and started programming in Unity just to spend the time. I have a a love for these old school type of space games. Yeah, it reminds me of the one on Nintendo. Uh, Solar Jetman? Uh, You blew up at one point and then you were a man hovering around. Is that the one? No? I don't know. I I didn't play Nintendo but I've heard that men... No, yeah, that yeah, that's the one. Solar Yetman. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we have heard that as well. That many make that connection like with Solar Yetman. My personal uh, connection with those games are it's a game called Thrust. And it's very similar to Solar Yetman. Like you carry stuff with your ship. Uh, it's for uh, Commodore 64. Yes, I see it now. Yes. But can you not pick up things in Solar Yetman as well? Or am I getting these two titles confused? I think you can. Okay. Yeah, so it's very similar to that genre. But I wouldn't say it's a, a retro game. It's more inspired by those games. Yeah, that's cool. I was going to say also sort of... Uh, what is it called? Ah, the, the, the game that came when PS4 first came out. That game studio, they made it. It's like a cylinder and you just go around in circles. Ah, goddammit. Uh, is it like uh, something with a gun? Yeah, they they are known to make a lot of uh, twin stick shooters, this studio. Ah, why can I remember? I love this game. Ah, whatever. I, I will Google it. Yeah, uh, so I began working on that game like in 2018. And I had previously done the game Rymdraket, I mentioned previously. And this is basically just a continuation of that. Rymdraket was more of an arcade shooter and you connected with each other and battled it out in a deathmatch style game. Star Pilgrim is more of a, well it started out as a more exploration focused game. And I didn't have a name for it, I called it just Rymdraket 2. And the main focus of that initial idea was to colonize planets. You would start on your home planet and gather resources and technology and upgrade your base by carrying stuff to it and like harvest your surroundings. And the more tech you researched, the the more performance your ship would gain. And eventually you would be able to reach space. Previously we would just like cut the engine because the altitude was too high and there was not enough oxygen for instance. And that was the first idea, like this single player game in the beginning where you just collect all your resources and then when you start to get enough upgrades on your ship, you're able to go out into space and find new solar systems. And then it would become a multiplayer game where you could encounter other players, but not until you had reached this safe tutorial planet. After that, you would like make a new base on this planet and uh, harness that those unique resources and build new tech and I was thinking of developing it like an idle runner like you could play it and you could uh, build defenses 
and you could then land and log out but your game would still run on the servers and would simulate like attacks from evil <laughs> the evil space empire or the evil race and you would have to buffed up your defenses you wouldn't have a, like a, just a ruin when you log in next time because it would be simulating even though you were not playing i still think that's an interesting game idea i'm very fascinated by the the theory of the great filter i don't know if you've heard about the great filter it's a theory about why there are no aliens why haven't there been any encounters with aliens yet and one explanation is the great filter that there is one race of extraterrestrials that basically kills off everything that makes it into a certain level of technology they don't allow other species to get out into space like they just kill them off Ah, sort of see that with China now. Rush, uh, America cut off some technology, uh, the ships or whatever. So China has to develop their own stuff now, which will set them back, I don't know, four or five years. Or so. so I just heard someone mention it. And it sort of reminds me of that, the Great Filter. So it's, except that it's not aliens, it's just Western nations not wanting that to happen, that they become too advanced. Another analogy is... Uh the black woods like every little animal in the black wood is hiding in their little, uh, little home and the the great predator is just owning the forest and no one wants to give a shout out because then it would get eaten more or less so that's the premise of the game that i was initially thinking of i began working on it on that flight to seattle <laughs> i had uh, the basic mechanics up and running in Unity for the client, and I began working on the back end using, uh, I think I was using MySQL and uh, POP because I knew those languages and uh, technologies pretty well and had a, an API to register which planets you are currently owning and what amount of resources you had and uh, stored all the, that data in, the, in a database. And I used Photon, is a multiplayer third-party provider for Unity and Unreal that um, makes creating multiplayer games really easy. So I, I had the multiplayer aspects pretty much figured out as well. But it's a, a big undertaking for one person. <laughs> I also had the, the idea of generating new planets and new solar systems with each user so if if you were to play the game you would get a new unique planet and a unique solar system and that would be yours and uh, it wouldn't be noticeable until you had reached this tech level if you were leaving your solar system then you you would be able to have visitors come to your solar system but ahead of that you would just be invisible that was uh, like the, the framework I was building. And then I had this game jam and met Per, and we, he liked the idea really much and wanted to collaborate. So we started the, the fine art together and, and moved the project to this new company. I can't say I, I feel remorse where the project was led astray or what you would call it, because we were, we were making small changes and tweaks to certain parts of the game and suddenly we weren't making the game that I was had set out to make in the first place and we were very much taking input from people that maybe wasn't we shouldn't have listened to I think we should just have continued doing our thing but one thing led to another and we ended up with this game where you basically are a, a shepherd where you tend to the galaxy's planets. Sort of the same idea that I initially had, but you're not predatory. You're more like a, a gardener or a protector of the universe. And the idea is to gather energies from the planets that you have uh, colonized. And uh, your people use this energy to reincarnate themselves. That's like their life cycle. 
like each cycle you you need to take this pilgrimage that takes you to different places around the galaxy to collect these energies and when you are done with your undertaking you get reincarnated and your your race is basically saved and can be brought back to life again by this uh, great sum of all energies that you have gathered throughout the game and then it will end in a, like an explosion or of seeding of the galaxy and it, it uh, restarts the game and you begin where you it begins where you first picked up the game in the in the first place uh, so it's uh, a cyclic a little bit like uh, no man's sky i think originally was something like that as well i remember i haven't played that game to the end but i can imagine that as well as journey has that kind of uh, story element Yeah, that's true. So I was just curious uh, about something else about your studio. So it's called The Fine Ark, but what does that name mean? Is it the Ark like in the Bible or something else? It's not the Ark. It's in the Bible. It's more the Fine Bend. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Like, yeah, exactly. Ark, yeah, in the Bible, I think it's pronounced the same way and spelled the same way. But it's not the reference. <laughs> right. But uh, the bend, what uh, what does that mean? Is it like the collaboration between audio and graphics or? Sort of that. We liked the seriousness of the name. It wasn't, we were sp- collaborating on a name for like a bus, uh, bus ride to Shalefti on one, <laughs> one evening. And we said, we need a really good company name for we were going to this uh, Arctic game pitch event and we hadn't a company name yet and then we thought of the name Kappa Ark we thought Kappa sounded really cool <laughs> oh like the Japanese monster uh, maybe I don't know <laughs> uh, so but uh, Kappa was I think Kappa is the Greek letter of K or something like that so it's just a, an abstract cool name we thought Uh, but sadly it was it was taken so we couldn't use that so then we just came up with this uh, the fine arc instead so what would you say is your short-term and long-term goal for your studio that's an interesting question (laughs) if we look to the next year i would really like our game to be released that would be awesome but i think one year is too short of a time i think two years is more realistic to find a publisher or self-publish either way it would be faster to self-publish because then we can do it iteratively when the publisher probably would need more of a release date and uh, not go so go early access or anything like that but on another note i would really like to have an office in uh, the project name is spelens hus but that's not the the name of the the location in the end i think we need a better name but Spelenshus is supposed to be a, like a hotspot in Umeå for all the gaming companies in, in the town. Well, I think as a yeah, as a representative for the podcast House of Games, I think it's a brilliant name. <laughs> yeah. So it's supposed to be a, a hub for creativity, and that sounds really like exciting to me. And we would really like to rent a place there. I mean, I'm just sad that there's no no place already. I think there should be a place already that was freely available to hire a small office in. I gotta ask, uh, first of all, Resogun was the game I was thinking about before. It was Resogun, yeah. Uh, you, maybe you said it, yeah. Uh, it sort of had that feeling or looks in some way, which is nice, very nice. And my other question is now that when you had a studio... Or you said you still have a studio now, or you use Mood, right? I think you mentioned before we went on there. Yeah, we, like our location. Yeah, we have a we we're renting a, a office from Uminova Innovation, the incubator. Now we're using the co-working areas. Do you go there every day, or do you work from home? And if so, how often do you go to the office, and how often do you stay home and work? Yeah, I go to the office every day, <laughs> so that's. Uh... I was curious. Like I, I think uh, I hear a lot of. I mean, after COVID or during it, it was like, oh, this is gonna be the new way of working, and I'm just, oh my god, how boring to always work from home. I can't wait to have an office or 
hopefully this spelens hus if that's uh, something that comes up in the future if i also could be a part of rent from that place that would be so much fun and so awesome to go to this hub where all these studios are in one place i think that that sounds very exciting yeah game habumi should uh, i think that is a natural place to have that seated as well and maybe this podcast could be broadcast from that location as well that would be awesome yeah absolutely yeah i'm looking forward to to the next year and what what the future holds in that regard and i would love to be able to have a small office or a studio located there uh, so that's one year plan <laughs> cool and Uh, our audience, where should they go to find out uh, more information about your company and follow your journey and see when you do release your game? I, I probably would say uh, our webpage is good, but we're not very good at updating it. But uh, we will make the announcement on our web. But just to hang out, I think the Game Hub channel is the place to be if you're in this region and interested in games in general. It's a great place. I hang out there every day. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we will uh, make sure to link the Discord. But what is the URL for your website? Uh, just so nobody misses it. Uh, Thefineark.com With a C-R-A-C. Perfect. I mean, not very good at updating the Twitter accounts, but we should be more social, I think. Better to reach us on, on the GameHub channel on Discord if you want like, one-to-one conversations. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us. Uh, is there anything else you would like to say before we close the episode? Thank you. It was uh, great talking to you guys. And I look forward to all the episodes in the future. It would be really nice hearing all of those different talented people telling their, their respective stories. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening to us. And uh, see you next week with another episode. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye.